0: Near
1: Death Dolls. Welcome to episode seven of Near Death Dolls. I'm Paige and I'm Lisa, and we are your hosties with the mosties. Wow, talking about ghosties and other infectious shit. Ooh. Ugh.
0: Thank you for joining us today. We've got a pretty morbid tale today, and uh, Paige will be
1: covering it. Thank you, Lisa. Yes, I do have a morbid tale for everybody. Uh, But first, let's get to know the dolls a little bit. Um, In light of some recent events that everyone will be aware of, uh, we can only dream of traveling right now. Mm -hmm. Lisa, if you could travel anywhere in the world, what city would you pick? That's a
0: tough one, but I've been having the itch kind of to go to paris i've never been i know it's a very basic bitch answer but (laughs) you know me yeah i've been really craving like french food i'd love a good croissant. that's awesome and i would love to see the catacombs oh my god i want to see those catacombs too they look so cool i know i like that really like intrigues me i would love to see that yeah me too
1: man that would be bomb What a cool destination.
0: I think it would be, there's a lot to do and see, and I think it would be a lot of fun. But Paige, what city would you go to if you could travel right now?
1: You know, I freaked out when you said Paris, because I was going to say Paris, too. You can say Paris, too. Well, I'm going to say Paris, too, then. All right. (laughs) (laughs) because I've never been I would love to it would be great I would I've never been I've always wanted to go to France I studied French for four years of my life in high school and in college and I don't speak much of it I can understand more than I can speak it but Mm -hmm. I just think it would be so cool to go to Paris
0: yeah i'd have to bone up on my french because i know zero
1: french okay well hey if we ever go i'll be your interpreter (laughs) sounds good let's do that we should that would be really fun to travel together and go to france oh my gosh that'd be the best time and the catacombs you know i went to rome last year and it was super super cool i wanted to go to the catacombs but it just it just didn't work out with the trip Mm -hmm. That would have been awesome. I would have loved to see those catacombs. Oh, they have them there too? Yeah. I don't think it's as extensive as it is in Paris, Mm -hmm. but they have some too, and it's just as creepy.
0: Yeah, I bet. I I don't know why I assumed only Paris would have catacombs. I'm sure they're, you know.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, that's like the popular catacombs, right? Because there's so many of them. Like, it's it's an extensive maze, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So, I that makes sense why you would think just Paris. But I guess like cuz they were all all the European cities were around at the same time, they probably all had similar ways of burying the dead. I don't know. That's interesting to think about.
0: You know what? We will have to do a case on the catacombs and I think that'd be a lot of yes. fun.
1: I would love to hear a case on the catacombs. You should do it. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, we'll do it sometime. All right, Paige, but uh, what's our case for today? Today, we're going to do the London Plague of
0: 1665.
1: Uh Uh-oh, throwback! Yeah, yeah. It's funny that we talk about Paris and catacombs because it's oddly similar. Well, (laughs) it's morbid anyway. So we've got London's Great Plague of 1665, but first I'm going to start by uh, talking about something that happened in 2016, not too long ago lisa i have a question for you so when would you have thought that it was actually proven that rats Caused the plague.
0: Like proven, proven, or speculated? Like
1: proven. Well, yeah, proven.
0: Oh, I would have thought sometime between the 1920s to the 70s, somewhere in that
1: area. I would have agreed with you a couple days ago, but I've learned that that is completely wrong. That was just speculative at the time. Well, okay, so they knew that rats caused certain plagues, but they couldn't be sure if rats caused every single plague outbreak and which ones it caused and which ones it didn't. Mm -hmm. Now we can say with definite proof that the plague of 1665 in London, the worst one that London ever experienced, was caused by rats and plagues from rats. Son of a bitch. But that happened in 2016, so it was like just a handful of years ago. Yeah, that's not long ago at all. And what happened is, in 2016, they dug up a plague burial site on Liverpool Street, and it's on the Bedlam Burial Ground, and they tested one of the teeth of the plague victims they found in that burial ground, and that's where they found the bacteria Yersinia pestis. Ooh, (laughs) that sounds gnarly. It's pretty gnarly. Well, that's the plague, (laughs) so... (laughs) Pretty gnarly indeed, but yeah, Yersinia pestis. I had to figure out how to say that because it it's it's a toughie. But uh, it's a bacteria. It affects wild rodents or rats, mm-hmm. as more commonly known. And what happens to cause the plague? So the rats get the plague. That that just happens, unfortunately, for these poor rats. But what happens to spread it to people? And this is something people have probably heard of, but the fleas that bite the rats can jump onto people and bite the people. And a flea's digestive system regurgitates the blood that it had from its previous victim into its current victim before it pulls out new blood from the victim. So that's how the plague spreads.
0: Oh, I should have not eaten so soon to recording this.
1: Oh no, <laughs> you're going to have a stomach ache, Lisa. That's what's going to happen. Oh <laughs> well, yeah, I keep
0: drinking too, so.
1: Well, you know, actually, today we're going to be concentrating a little bit more on like the quarantine efforts in the Great London Plague and kind of social effects of it and not so much the gritty details that'll be next time because this is part one of two
0: it's a two-parter people
1: two-parter so keep your ears out in a week from now for the part two of london's great plague where we get into maybe a little bit more nitty-gritty definitely the fire of london all kinds of stuff but this time we're going to be talking about how it started
0: can i ask a question
1: i wish you would
0: (laughs) now is this plague considered the black plague or is that a different plague
1: Great question. Yes. So um, back back in the day, this is the reason why people don't know necessarily. There are, There are some dissenters. There's people who don't think that rats caused every single plague. It's because there was a lot of plague going around and it was just all referred to as the Black Plague.
0: Okay. So there were different strains and different symptoms and different results.
1: Yeah, yeah, different things going on. But for the most part, it really was the Black Plague spreading because especially in big cities in Europe of the time, there was no sanitation efforts. So it was very likely that there would be rats everywhere and people themselves aren't clean. Mm -hmm. It's just a hotbed of bacteria going on.
0: Yeah, I watched Sweeney Todd today, and
1: uh Ooh, yeah. you're in the mood then. I am so
0: in the mood for Dirty London.
1: Exactly. Dirty London is where we're going right now. <laughs> All aboard! Choo-choo! <laughs> but yeah, uh, it's taken a long time to actually prove that it was Yersinia pestis, or the Black Plague that caused the Plague of London. But funnily enough, in medieval India and China, years, 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 years before people knew what caused the plague they knew that if they saw a pile of dead rats outside their village that it meant the plague was imminent so it's like oh another another plague's on the way i see a pile of dead rats over there
0: now did they pile themselves up or
1: (laughs) this is a good question this is a good question i'm assuming people didn't want to touch them after they realized that plague was coming Mm -hmm. (laughs) they didn't know about the fleas but you know rats but The Yersinia pestis, this bacteria that comes from rats through fleas, it causes three different types of plague, all of them under the umbrella of the Black Plague. And the first one that it covers is the bubonic plague. That's the one that most people think of.
0: I've heard of that one.
1: Yes, yes, you have. (laughs) It's the most common one because this is the one that's caused by the flea bite.
0: Right, that's the one that gives you the bubons.
1: The buboes. <laughs> i <joking>. The buboes, <laughs> The buboes
0: and the bonbons.
1: They wish they got bonbons from that. I would not eat those bonbons. That's a good point. Probably pretty disgusting and smelly. <laughs> but um, so, yeah, the bubonic plague is the one most people think of when they hear black plague. It affects the lymphatic system, shutting off the immune system from the rest of the body. And that's where we get the swollen lymph nodes called buboes, hence the term bubonic plague.
0: Oh, man, I was just being silly. I didn't realize those were (laughs) real things. (laughs) Oh, I was like, good
1: job, Lisa. You know, you know your shit. I'm not that smart, no. (laughs) Yes, you are. You figured it out. You just didn't know you figured it out. Sure. So, yeah, these buboes are swollen lymph nodes. They pop up in the neck armpits, and the thigh or groin area. Oh, man. Yeah, that one can probably be hidden a little bit, but once it starts popping up on the neck, that's when people know, oh, shit, that person's got the plague.
0: They're fucked. They're fucked,
1: and I better get the fuck out of town. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And the symptoms besides the swollen lymph nodes include headache, fever, chills, and weakness. So it's basically, you know, you start feeling the fever, you start getting chills. And then your lymph nodes swell up to the size of an apple. So that's when you're pretty sure this is the bubonic plague. <laughs> I'm pretty sure at this point. Right. You, you know at that point something's wrong. <laughs> so the buboes, these swollen lymph nodes, they swell to the size of an apple, like I said, and they harden up and turn black. That's where black plague comes from.
0: Oh, so they're now ripe for the picking.
1: Gross, but yes. No. <laughs> gross, but yes. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. So, like, they get huge to the size of oranges or apples. They turn black. And then, once they get so big, they burst open and it oozes out whatever blood and pus was in there. Oof, Pretty gross. Man.
0: Yeah. Now I'm really regretting having dinner.
1: Oh, no. <laughs> Do you need a bucket next to you?
0: No, once I finish my drink, I'll just, I'll vomit back in the cup. It's fine.
1: Ew. <laughs> but seriously, like, it, it doesn't, after I talk about these symptoms, it goes away for a little bit, I think, so we'll be okay, I think. All
0: right, just got to power through.
1: Just got to power through, yeah. Even if you have to shut off your ears for a minute, it's okay. I can keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> I'll power through. Okay, good. Yeah. So the bubonic plague is spe- spread by rat flea bites. Um, Some could survive this, surprisingly. Like they'd get it, they'd either be asymptomatic and just, you know, keep going about their lives, being carriers, but not knowing about it. Mm-hmm. And some people did get the symptoms, they got the, the swollen lymph nodes, whatever, and they lived. That actually happened quite a bit. But these other two plagues that we're going to talk about that are under the black plague umbrella, they killed instantly without treatment. They couldn't survive with these other two plagues. Shit. Right. <laughs> so the first one's the bubonic plague. We already discussed that. The second one is the pneumonic plague, and that infects the lungs.
0: Is it like a pneumonic device?
1: <laughs> it's like pneumonia. Oh, pneumonia. <laughs> yeah, but not pneumonia, obviously. This one is still caused by Yersinia pestis. Yeah, Yersinia pestis. Sorry, I had to look at that again. That's a funny bacteria name. But anyway... <laughs> So, it infects the lungs and the symptoms include severe chest pains, coughing up blood, fever and sweating. Yummy, right? Not taking that one. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if you can imagine when the people are having these symptoms and they're coughing up blood, it infected people very that were in the vicinity of them.
0: Okay, so it would be a it's something that is contagious from person to person. It's not just spread by fleas on rats.
1: Exactly, yeah. So this is kind of almost a mutation of the same plague where it doesn't cause swollen lymph nodes. It causes uh, pneumonia-like symptoms, It coughing up blood, and you die a lot faster from this one than you do from the bubonic plague. And then the third one, which was the fastest killer, was the septicemic plague.
0: Oh, gosh.
1: Yeah, pretty nasty. This one is infecting the blood. So the first one affects the immune system. The second one is the lungs. This one infects the blood. The symptoms include chills, fever, weakness, and shock. Oh no. You go into shock pretty quick. And the reason is, is because you die so fast from the septicemic plague. Your body shuts down. You die on the spot. Oh shit. Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about this as we get into the plague of 1665 because there's accounts of people just being in the market everyday life buying bread and they like, oh, I need to sit down and they die and there's no other symptoms except death. But yeah, so people with the septicemic plague could just drop dead in the middle of the street. Because back then, especially, uh, you know, without treatment, it's just going to affect you a lot faster. These (laughs) days, though, if you come down with the Black Plague, any of these different um, strains of it, you can go to the hospital, which you should do. You do need to be treated for it. You can go to the hospital and get very basic antibiotics. Now, they hook them up in your IV, and you have to stay in the hospital for a couple days, but it's nowhere near as deadly as it used to be.
0: Wait, you're telling me the plagues still exist?
1: Oh, girl, it. I was surprised as well. It. There is cases every year of the Black Plague.
0: Holy crap! Really? Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Most of it is in South Africa. And like uh, mid, middle, middle Africa. I'm
0: gonna say Middle Earth.
1: <laughs> middle Earth. Yeah, uh, <laughs> hobbits die of the plague yearly. <laughs> oh, poor guys. Poor little furry. No, feet. no, no. They're fine the hobbits are good. <laughs> but there are there are cases of the plague. Obviously, deaths have gone way down, because if you catch it, it's easily... Like, for instance, doxycycline is one of the antibiotics for the plague, and that's a super common one. Mm-hmm. So luckily, it's easy to treat these days. Unfortunately, we don't have a vaccine for it yet.
0: That's strange. I feel like we've had plenty of time to come up with a vaccine.
1: They've tried. They've tried. They've come up with several different types of vaccine, but it just doesn't work work i don't know why so anyway you can get treated it's the the real vaccine is just being clean and not having rats everywhere oh,
0: guess i better straighten up my house because there's rats everywhere
1: <laughs> you have a cat the cat's probably killing those rats <laughs> are you
0: kidding me she would just like watch it walk around and be like yeah i could take a nap
1: oh little girl <laughs> yeah,
0: she's a lazy asshole
1: she wants you to get the plague, apparently. <laughs> I have no doubt. <laughs> but yeah, so the septicemic plague, just just as a round out of it, it is caused by contamination of blood or other bodily fluids through open wounds.
0: So if I had an open wound and someone peed on it, I might be fucked.
1: <laughs> yeah, you'd probably be fucked in many ways, but <laughs> especially if they have the black plague. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay. I'll note to self: Don't let anybody pee on my open wounds.
1: Exactly. You you watch those open wounds very carefully, Lisa. <laughs> I sure will.
0: Sure will. Just rub a little dirt
1: in it. will be fine. Ooh, oh. Now you're sounding like a a medieval doctor. Good job, Lisa. But yeah, the so the the Septicemic Plague could be spread by and we'll be talking about this a little bit later as well if the doctor lances one of the buboes and the the fluids that are coming out of it happen to touch the skin of the doctor or something and he happens to have a little cut he also gets the plague
0: oh geez but
1: the worst kind the the septicemic kind which Mm -hmm. is worse
0: through the blood right
1: through the blood exactly yeah and very fast death from that one um yeah, not fun. <laughs> but so let's let's uh, go to the actual plague itself in London and tell the story of how it started. A couple things here that people know about the London plague, and I'm sure you have also heard these things. Do you know that rhyme ring around the rosy? I do. And did you have you heard the the rumor that it equates to the Black Plague? I have. Yeah, um, I am. Um, Sorry to myself and to you to burst our bubbles.
0: Burst our boobles. Burbles. <laughs> bubbles. bubbles.
1: <laughs> as long as we burst them in a sanitary way. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, Ring Around the Rosie is not about the Black Plague as much as it's, it would be cool as fuck if it was. But, unfortunately, it was written in 1881. Mm-hmm. And it was about, um, apparently at that time, Protestants were absolutely forbidden from dancing, so they started writing nursery rhymes where they would dance in a circle and hold hands and sing ring around the rosie because they're ringing in a circle shut up right i know it's too bad because seriously ring around the rosie pocket full of posy ashes ashes we all fall down is such a macabre image if you think of the plague but -hmm. then if you think of just little kids dancing around it's not as fun
0: (laughs) okay so what's the ashes ashes part
1: the I can't I it's a good question. I wondered that myself. Ashes, ashes, in some versions it says a chew a chew. Both of which sound quite uh, reminiscent of somebody being sick. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So I I don't know particularly what that part is about, but I can tell you I found another version of the same rhyme and it's nothing to do with the plague. I'll tell you what it is right now. It's pretty funny. Okay. So it's ring a ring a roses. A pocket full of posies, upstairs and downstairs, in my lady's chamber. Husher, husher, cuckoo. Is that it? That's it. That's the rhyme. Do we all fall down? (laughs) Nope.
0: (laughs) We just cuckoo and bippity boppity boo.
1: Yeah, I can't even tell you. It almost sounds like somebody's cheating with somebody else's wife. I don't know. It does. Yeah, in my lady's chamber, husher, husher. Like, don't say anything or else my husband will hear you. I don't know.
0: Cuckoo, cuckoo.
1: Yeah, cuckoo. Oh, crap, he's
0: coming. Cuckoo.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. He's a cuckold, I guess. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. So that's that's the point of it is that all of these uh, iterations of Ring Around the Rosie was written in 1881 about something completely different. It's just a rumor that it's about the black plague
0: i'm gonna just keep believing it was about the black plague it just it feels right
1: i'm okay with that lisa i support you
0: thank you i need the support right now like a push-up bra
1: <laughs> Ooh, girl i've gotten braless but that's a time another conversation for another time
0: look in this age of the coronavirus covid19 all women are going braless at home right now it is the best feminist movement in a while
1: it's great isn't it and it sure is yeah yeah, I'm down. <laughs> Until
0: I had to do a video chat for work and I'm like,
1: oh crap, I should have put a bra
0: on. It's
1: like button up your, your blazer on top of your t-shirt like nobody will know.
0: <laughs> I'm going to zoom the camera in on my face real tight.
1: It's like you can see me from the collarbone up. That is it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, so there's one more thing that people equate with the London Plague of 1665. This one is possible. It's the Plague Doctor costume.
0: Ooh, I love this so much. There's something so creepy about it, but really cool.
1: I agree. Like when I was talking about starting a podcast or an episode about the Great Plague and you said something about the Plague Doctor mask, I was like, fuck, yes, I got to do it because it's such a cool uh, visual.
0: It, it is. It's very eerie and a little disturbing and morbid, but I can't wait yeah. to hear what you have to say about it, because I, no, I know nothing about it.
1: I do. Yeah, I have some facts. I have a little bit of facts about it. Um, the Plague Doctor costume was created in 1630s as a uniform for doctors treating the plague by Charles de L'Orme.
0: Very nice. L'Orme.
1: Yeah, I'm not really actually sure how to say his last name.
0: It, it's fine. He's probably dead already, so it's cool.
1: Oh, I'm sure. If he's not dead, we need to figure out why. It's
0: that plague costume. Kept it on the whole time.
1: That's a good point. Maybe it's the plague doctor costume. It looks cool enough to keep people alive. But he he invented it in 1630s, and it was first used in Naples during one of the plague outbreaks there. Charles de l'Orme invented it to cover the doctor's entire body. So, you, as you've seen, it's a huge robe, very long, all the way to the ground. There's gloves. There's a hat, there's the mask, and boots. So nothing is showing of this doctor. Hopefully that keeps him from catching the plague, but I doubt it. Unfortunately. Maybe a little bit. Maybe a little bit. Um, the the beak of the mask, for anybody who hasn't seen it, you should look up plague mask. Because it looks cool as fuck. It's this huge beak, uh, like a, a very large bird. And inside of the beak, they put things like cloves and garlic and anything like rose petals anything that's super pleasant but strong smelling who's
0: sniffing garlic like don't get me wrong i literally have garlic breath right now because i ate the equivalent of a clove of garlic tonight for dinner but
1: nice
0: why would someone put it i mean i guess if it's maybe uh antibacterial or
1: something maybe Mm. It is, it is, but that's not why they put it. Like, So it's an antibacterial, supposedly like an all all natural remedy, Mm -hmm. but unfortunately it doesn't help just to smell it. But back then, doctors believed that, and everybody, as we're about to find out once we dive into 1665, doctors believe that effluvia, quote unquote effluvia, which just means bad smell or bad air is what causes the plague and other diseases
0: okay so they thought it was in the air which i mean i guess it could have been kind of maybe
1: it is in the air yeah you're right it is in the air like when people catch the pneumonic plague that's airborne pathogens Mm -hmm. so they're not wrong but what they're wrong about is the fact that it's the bad smell that is causing the plague and if you just put a rose in your nose you'll be fine
0: a rose in your nose i like that
1: a rose in your in your beak i don't know but yeah so they thought that if you literally were only smelling pleasant smelling things and you couldn't smell the bad plague smell you would be okay But unfortunately that's not true on the other hand since it had been invented in 1960s, or or, i'm sorry (laughs) 1630s I was going to say (laughs) 1960-30. That was a good year. That was a good year, man. (laughs) But yeah, since it had already been invented, it was possible that doctors wore these plague masks during the the london plague of 1665 who knows it's pretty cool to think about Mm -hmm. so that's that's a little bit of of the mainstream what people know about the plague of london 1665 um now we're going to move into the nitty-gritty of the plague itself gosh
0: i'm not ready for this
1: (laughs) (laughs) actually all the gross stuff is done
0: oh good okay good all right carry on carry on
1: this is just more the fun part (laughs) because there's nothing more fun than a plague Yeah, nothing more fun than a black plague that kills uh, 40,000 people. (laughs) Woo! Um, So, the information for this episode, from here on out, I've pulled from a book called A Journal of the Plague Year. This was written and published in 1722, after the plague, and it was... Written by Daniel Defoe. Now, I didn't recognize this name right off the bat. However, he wrote. Oh, I know, I know, hold on.
0: I know, I know, hold on. What was his name again?
1: Daniel Defoe.
0: He wrote.
1: If you get it, I'm going to send you $100 because I didn't get it. No, no, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. on.
0: Man in the Iron Mask.
1: I don't think so. Damn it. I think that was Dumas.
0: Man in the Iron Mask.
1: I believe that was Dumas. Oh, the, okay. but he did write something very very famous that you will have heard of
0: what was his name again
1: daniel defoe
0: i i know i can see it on the book okay just tell me yeah I can't.
1: go ahead okay okay uh, you're gonna you're gonna kick yourself after this it's robinson crusoe damn
0: it yes yes yes
1: <laughs> good job lisa it's
0: it's one of the classics okay all right i did i didn't get it right but i i know i had seen it somewhere
1: Yeah, you were right there. That's amazing. I was surprised because I didn't, when I typed in Daniel Defoe, because I knew he was the author of the book I read, I didn't think he he had written Robinson Crusoe. I was like, okay, whatever, another author. But anyway, good job. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Good job. I got it totally wrong. I just knew it was like one of those. uh,
1: But you had heard the name.
0: I had, yes.
1: (laughs) And I've studied British literature and I don't remember the name. So (laughs) I feel like you win. (laughs) Uh, Daniel Defoe wrote it, published in 1722. He was five or six years old when the plague was around. Mm -hmm. So I can imagine that he probably had some sort of morbid fascination with it and wanted to tell the story of it. Mm -hmm. And he did a lot of research, like a fuck ton of research for this book. He based it off of his uncle's diary. Oh, wow. Yeah. As well as um, some government records he found or, you know, researched and interviews with people who had survived the plague as adults because he was six years old. He didn't, you know, have as much knowledge as everybody else who was adults at the time. So technically it's a novel, but only in so much that he took the accounts of what people have said and put it into um, a fake protagonist. So it's widely accepted as a historical account. Now, Defoe himself, Daniel Defoe, he was born and raised in St. Giles at Cripplegate, which is in London. Now, St. Giles' Cripplegate is where the Great Plague of London, 1665, actually started.
0: It's interesting that they can pinpoint where it started.
1: It is. And the reason, one of the reasons that they can pinpoint it was because there were some journals at the time published of people who actually had lived through the plague but then there was also this daniel defoe novel and he talked about um how two people the first two people to die of this plague in 1665 happened in saint giles cripplegate where the author had been born and raised so maybe that's why he knew for certain that that's where it started i'm not sure so it started in december of 1664 Two people died in St. Giles' Cripplegate. It's a very poor part of London at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, it was technically outside of the city of London, and it was a shanty town. So extremely bad uh, hygiene, no good sanitation. The city of London wasn't even necessarily sending people out to help clean it up like they were inside of the city. And it housed several families within one house, um, some said that in the basement there was two or three families found in different houses. So and it was built as a shanty town to house Irish and French immigrants. So it's pretty sad to think that of course the poor people are the first ones to go. Right but that's where it started. It's in the poor part of town.
0: Right, where it's gonna tend to be just a little bit dirtier and unkempt yeah. and where yeah.
1: Yeah, and people's um immune system might be compromised already just because they haven't been eating good food and drinking enough water etc that's true yeah so unfortunately that's where it started and during the winter of 1664 there was some rumors going around that the plague had started up again in full force in amsterdam and people in london were starting to get nervous because people had been dying of the plague a little bit here and there over the years and their last big plague had been like 15 or 10 years before this. Now this one is gonna, you know, (laughs) far outreach any of the previous plagues, but people didn't know that yet. And this story that I read, a journal of the plague year, is told from the point of view of a middle-class merchant who lived in Whitechapel. Now Whitechapel, if you'll remember, like more than two hundred years later is the scene of Jack the Ripper crimes.
0: Yes, I I did I did recognize Whitechapel. Yes.
1: Now, what uh, in in Jack the Ripper's time it's considered like a super poor part of town, mm-hmm. kind of like Cripplegate is at sixteen sixty five. But in sixteen sixty five, Whitechapel was fairly affluent that surprised me man (laughs) I was like (laughs) Whitechapel oh that poor part of town where all those hookers got killed
0: (laughs) like when we were growing up like in our neighborhoods and stuff like the neighborhood I grew up in was I felt like kind of a lower kind of more poor area and the house like the house that I remember you being in was like to me that was like the rich area
1: yeah it was at that time
0: yeah but now driving back to it I'm like ooh, this is looking a little rough around here
1: (laughs) yeah things have changed i agree isn't that funny it's it's in a short amount of time that neighborhoods could go from like affluent to poor yes yeah I, I drove by my old house and i found that it was like run down and i was like what the fuck yeah. <laughs> anyway but yeah so that's what happened with whitechapel it was at one time a very industrial up-and-coming area and in 1665, it was uh, it was still filled with all the warehouses that you'll hear about in Jack the Ripper's time, with mm-hmm. like slaughterhouses, tanneries, breweries, etc. Okay. But at that time, it meant like people were rich, like people in the area were profiting. At that time, that's where the narrator was living, so he's talking about Cripplegate, which is on the east side of London, and he's living on the west side of London. West side. West side. Yeah, he's he's afraid that the plague is sp- gonna spread and get to the west side. And then in December also, they see something going over London, and it's a comet, and they call it the Christmas Comet.
0: Aw, how nice.
1: (laughs) It sounds cute, but at the same time, they're calling it the Christmas Comet, but they're uh, attributing like a bad prophecy to it. What's it have to do with Christmas? God, girl, I don't know. Why do you look in the sky and see a comet and think, oh, that means bad things are coming? I don't know. But that's what they thought.
0: I mean like the comet of hope.
1: Totally. Totally. I mean, it's also that, you know, this is in hindsight. So maybe it's like in hindsight, people started to think the comet was a bad omen. Mm-hmm. But even in the book... The narrator calls it a warning of God's judgment.
0: Yeah, yeah, probably.
1: Yeah, probably. <laughs> so uh, people in London started dying off and the the death toll increases per week. But it's still fairly low throughout the winter because there's so many deep freezes going on that people are just staying inside. And that probably helps the plague not to spread too much.
0: Ah, I'm familiar mm. with this.
1: Yeah, yeah. So uh, the people in London, though, are getting really nervous that these outlying communities are getting the plague, and they start watching the bills very carefully. And the bills are released weekly from the government to tell people how many people have died that week and what they died of. Um, Daniel Defoe makes very detailed notes about these bills and the numbers increasing on the bill as the plague ramped up for instance i'm not going to talk about numbers in this episode too much but i will mention that at the beginning of the plague the number of bodies buried a week in all of london went from 291 which is a fairly normal number and that was december 20th and it went to 474 bodies in mid-january oh shit yeah yeah so that's when people in london were like "Uh oh <laughs> not good <laughs> no bueno no bueno exactly but like i said the winter was a very cold one it kept the plague from going too far until about may when the weather started to warm up so that's when the plague starts taking up again it's scary and there's a mass exodus from the city from anyone who can afford to get out of London.
0: Oh, that's so sad because it sounds like all oh, the bad stuff is in the poor area for the most part, and they can't afford to go anywhere.
1: Exactly. It's so sad, Lisa. Like all these rich people who are in a completely unaffected area of London at this time are like, well, we got to get the fuck out. Peace. Yeah. Peace out, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's. It's actually quite sad, but they, the only way for the rich people or any people to get out of town at this time was to have a certificate of good health from the Lord Mayor of London.
0: The Lord Mayor?
1: The Lord Mayor. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And at first, especially to rich people, he's given those out like candy.
0: Trick or treat, bitches.
1: Yeah. You want a certificate? You all get a certificate. (laughs) Chill out, Oprah. Yeah, he should have chilled out a little bit because the problem was the plague could be asymptomatic. And these rich people getting these certificates of good health, they didn't have any apple-sized nodes on their neck, but they were still carriers of the plague. Mm -hmm. So they carried this plague to the villages outside of London that they were fleeing to for safety. Fortunately for these villages it didn't spread nearly as bad as it did in london because they had better hygiene out there but still they started to freak out and after a couple months of people bringing plague into their town they shut down their borders they said go the fuck back to london you're not allowed here maybe you can imagine they're scared they're like well we've already accepted all these other people who were we? Really like yeah come on in spend your money in our town you know but so after all the rich people left daniel defoe writes in his book that there was ten thousand houses left empty in london and locked up because the owners had left and so you know sanitation isn't great in london and people are getting really afraid of the plague and so they start turning to any sort of comfort that they can and the first comfort is in the black arts
0: oh i was gonna say like uh the brothels but yeah the that, that black arts sound good too
1: well, as far as I can tell, Lisa, I think the brothels were closed down at this time because the the city—we'll get into this a little bit later—but the city shut down anything they thought was un-Christian.
0: Oh, I thought you were gonna say a uh, uh, not essential.
1: <laughs> That's today. <laughs> okay. Oh, my bad. My bad. Back then, it was like, oh, God's mad at us sending us the plague. We better shut down these whorehouses. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Close your legs and say a prayer.
1: Exactly. That's what they were saying. They were like, you need to say a prayer and repent for your sins because we're all going to die. But um, so the black arts that they started turning to is like, quote, unquote, black arts, right? So people um, in the beginning of this plague, people were offering curbside prophecies. So it's like people standing in the middle of the street screaming at everybody like the plague is is coming forth you need to repent your sins.
0: No time like the present. No
1: time like the present. Right, if that's all you can do, you can't afford to leave London, might as well repent your sins. <laughs> you might feel better. <laughs> but they mention in the book a naked man. This is just one of the many things they mentioned.
0: I think you to say it was one of the one of the many naked
1: men. Possibly? <laughs> This is just one of the many like prophets that were running around London and he just happened to be naked. Just happened to be
0: okay cool I'm sorry go ahead. Yeah
1: naked dong swinging around and quoting scripture.
0: (laughs) He said dong.
1: That's not in the book that's page ad-libbing. Love it. (laughs) But yeah so this naked man running around London quoting scripture asking for the benevolence of the Lord and it was said that the narrator looked him in the eye and said, hey, just talk to me for a second, basically. And the naked man was didn't even acknowledge there was a person in front of him. He was so far gone. He was just like, no, we need to ask for forgiveness. So people are going a little nuts already.
0: No pun intended.
1: Well, yeah, nuts. (laughs) But yeah, there's other prophecies out there. Like there was a lady standing in the middle of the town looking up at the clear sky and saying i see a fiery sword pointing down at london
0: just staring into the sun too long
1: right you know you got to be careful of these people (laughs) (laughs) but apparently the hysteria started spreading like all these people would gather around her looking up and going like oh my god i see it it's as if uh the archangel gabriel is going to stab london in the heart and we're all going to die from the plague kind of thing like people just going nuts whereas the narrator looked up and said i only saw blue sky so there was also some fortune tellers and the only reason i want to bring up the fortune tellers is because apparently in 1665 to tell people that you were a fortune teller you put a sign outside your door with a picture of merlin's beard on it just the beard just the beard i guess i don't know just a free floating white beard i don't know but yeah, the fortune tellers were called oracles of the devil in the book. And the, the narrator's um, admonition is like, you know, just turn to God. Don't turn to these black arts. Um, but the clientele of all of these, you know, soothsayers were servants and poor people, the ones left behind. And they asked things like, am I going to lose my job? Is my boss going to move out of town and leave me here to die? Am I going to be safe from the plague? And unfortunately, I don't know what the fortune tellers told him, but the answer was basically going to be, yes, you're going to be left in London and your employers are going to go off and live the good life in the country and just leave you here. It's pretty sad. But now to the quarantine. So this is both uh, the government made it happen. They came down and shut some people down for being unholy, but also they got shut down just by people not coming and spending money there anymore. And this includes gambling houses, dancing rooms, music houses, theaters, which I guess are evil, (laughs) showing plays is evil. This is after Shakespeare's time, so it's not like I don't know, they they should have been a little more open-minded, but I guess at this time it was like, no, fuck it. Everything that seems evil is evil. So it's a little sad. This is a quote from the book. Um, It's basically talking about why everything was shut down. It says, quote, for the minds of the people were agitated with other things and a kind of sadness and horror at these things sat upon the countenances of even the common people. Death was before their eyes, and everybody began to think of their graves, not of mirth and diversions. Pretty sad. Pretty sad. So people stopped supporting, like, local restaurants and stuff, and all the restaurants shut down, basically.
0: Oh, hell no. Today, we would not survive.
1: No, you're right. You are so right. (laughs) Even today, with people in quarantine, they are ordering in their food. (laughs) yeah but so that's that's the crazy people that's the people who are like uh mystical now we're gonna get to the people who are pretending to be doctors and i'm just gonna call them quacks and snake oil salesmen because that's all they are like so can you imagine going into a walgreens today and seeing something for sale called the sovereign cordial against the corruption of the air
0: uh what aisle would that be on
1: uh (laughs) anti-plague
0: okay I i don't go down that aisle very much anymore
1: <laughs> yeah it's like it's unnecessary but yeah they had very long titles for their potions there was that one there was one that said exact regulations for the conduct of the body in case of an infection i don't know how they fit this all on a bottle it was small print i guess <laughs> right so yeah there was uh snake o- snake oil salesman but unfortunately those potions that they're selling contain mercury arsenic, like things that are just going to poison you straight up. So these poor people spending their hard-earned cash on potions that have poison in them, trying to avoid the plague. It's it's just some BS. Yeah. But there was one funny thing I pulled from this. This was written above somebody's door. And I just love it. I would have gone in this shop immediately. (laughs) It says, an ancient gentlewoman having practiced with great success in the last plague in this city at 1636, gives her advice only to the female sex. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I would have walked right in. I would have been like, I want to hear what this ancient woman has to say. (laughs) (laughs) This feels right. But yeah, so there was several different examples like that. I only pulled the one I liked the most. Now we're going to get into the real physicians. Quote, unquote real physicians the lord mayor seeing all these quacks pop up and the black arts the lord mayor decided to order the college of physicians to create a cheap medicine that all could afford to help them with the plague so they're trying their best they're doing They're, they're, they've got the right idea in mind of trying to help people and make it affordable. The problem is nobody knows what the fuck actually stops the plague. Unfortunately, these physicians, they were the ones going into people's houses and this was for free. This was a free service basically paid for by the state. The physicians would go into these plague houses and trying to help these people without promise of being paid by these people so that part was nice but unfortunately what they would do when they would go in there is try and lance the boils like we talked about before the right pubos.
0: a little bit of dr pimple poppers
1: <laughs> yeah yeah dr pimple popper with a, a unsanitary knife just poking at the things <laughs> this is
0: the dr pimple popper medieval edition
1: <laughs> i'd watch the shit out of that
0: <laughs> Ooh
1: yeah pretty nasty though so they would come in they would lance the buboes it's extremely painful for the patient and contagious for everybody around them you know the pro another problem is like i said it's unsanitary so they touch it with the knife other infections get into the bubo the person dies of a completely different infection and might have lived from the plague and also the physicians died themselves a lot. So even if they were wearing the masks, I'm not sure if they were or not, but mm-hmm. it said in the book, the physicians died, quote, their preservatives in their mouths, meaning basically that any medicine they were offering just was ineffective. Right. In June of sixteen sixty five, this is when the plague started hitting really hard and spreading to other parts of London. Mm-hmm. The lord mayor ordered infected houses to be shut up and quarantined so these was force quarantined and even if just one person in the house had the plague everybody else in the house was locked in with them now there was some jobs created by the government a lot of people were losing their jobs like i said the poor people left behind their bosses had gone into the country they had nothing else to support themselves now the the government saw this and they said okay we're going to create jobs to help battle the plague and we're going to hire all these recently unemployed people so the posts created by the government are uh, they are forced on people if the person refuses to do it they're sent to jail but as we'll see a lot of people are clamoring for jobs no matter what because they just need the money
0: yeah so i mean it really seems like a win-win you know you're
1: helping and get a job yeah, I mean, if that happened right now, I would raise my hand. I'd be like, sure, I'll be the first one, you know, because <laughs> I want to help people. I want to get some money. It's a government job, but <laughs> um, the the other thing is, if that somebody in the role died or got infected by the plague, they had to be replaced very quickly with somebody else that was healthy. Um, so here's a list of these jobs. First one is examiner. These are only men. And what they would do is just sort of keep their ear out for rumors of the plague. And if they heard that, let's say, Sarah down the street has symptoms of the plague, Mm -hmm. he would tell the magistrate of the area that they need to investigate that house. He doesn't have to go anywhere near the house. He doesn't have to talk to the infected people. He definitely isn't even allowed to go in the house. Oh,
0: wow. So he's
1: just a rumor monger basically. The other thing about the examiners, the less fun part, is that they're in charge of ensuring that any items, particularly linens that came from these plague houses, had to be treated with smoke and perfume before being reused or resold.
0: I have a feeling just for breezing it is not going to (laughs) help.
1: I have a feeling you're right, Lisa. (laughs) And so these poor examiners probably caught the plague just from trying to Febreze the shit out of the linens. (laughs) But yeah, that's what, that's what their job was. And the second position is a watchman and the watchmen were ordered to stand guard at the houses that were shut up due to the plague. They were the only ones who had keys to get into the house in and out. They were supposed to make sure the people that were quarantined inside didn't come outside and that nobody else went inside besides nurses. So they had day and night shifts for these poor guys. There was a 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. day shift and then a 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. shift. That was a night shift. Oh, man. Yeah. And they're all by themselves. So one man standing guard on a whole house with windows and back doors and stuff like that. But he can only stand in the front. It's it's setting up for failure. Um So if... For any reason, the family got out. Like if they said, "Hey, we need a nurse," and the watchman went to go get a nurse, and they snuck out somehow, he would get punished severely for that.
0: Like what? An ass whooping or like jail time? (laughs) Yeah,
1: like like uh, public whipping. Okay, kinky, but okay, kinky. (laughs) Yeah, fun. (laughs) (laughs) And the third job is for women. the The first two are just men. The third job is called searchers and the searchers are charged with going into the house after the examiners have said this house has plague in it the searchers go inside try and diagnose if the people actually have the plague and then go and report to their boss and this is something women did correct only women could be searchers why i don't know great question
0: are women more expendable or something
1: It kind of seems like that because this is from the book. It said, these women are not allowed to hold any other jobs at the time of their appointment. And physicians could dismiss searchers that weren't fit for the job. This is the only position listed where it has to say that. And I think that's kind of bullshit.
0: Yeah. But it's, it's like they're the ones actually going in and can be exposed to the plague. So yeah. You're just kind of saying, you know, you're just the disposable. You're disposable, essentially.
1: Yeah, it's pretty shitty. But now the searchers themselves are accompanied by a man called the chirurgeon, which is basically a surgeon. Okay. And they're male. And at this time, surgeons didn't have to necessarily be doctors. They could be barbers, you know.
0: Or a dentist, right?
1: Or dentists, exactly. It's a completely different world back then. It's not like the highest level of doctor. It's just... Somebody off the street, <laughs> anybody with a scalpel. Yeah, exactly. If you feel if you'd have no problem going in and seeing sick people and kind of poking them, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> so these guys would accompany the searchers into the house, but they'd be covered up. I don't know if the searchers were. I doubt it. And they would back up the claims. So the searcher goes in, does all the hard work, and the chirurgians would be like, "Yep, I think she's right." That's kind of their purpose, and if if they they weren't supposed to go and do other things either so they were paid 12 pence a body searched to help ensure that the surgeons didn't seek work elsewhere now here's the second female position available at this time the nurse keeper is basically a nurse that goes into these infected houses and stays the whole time with the family until the quarantine is over and that takes 28 days so if the house is shut up for 28 days and nobody actually dies of the plague during that time or you know they get better Mm -hmm. um they can be let out and the nurse keeper has to stay in there with them wasn't that kind of a death sentence for the nurse keeper Uh uh-huh yeah it was it was a death sentence for everybody in the house so it's kind of shitty (laughs) (laughs) yeah and the nurse is is there to like just help the person who has the plague okay it's these aren't great positions these are not great positions this is the one the next one is the one that was the most fought for like people were happy to do this job these these are the buriers, and they didn't have to go into the house i guess they would have to go into the house if, if people died in the house but really their job was to drive the death cart around looking for dead bodies at night only at night pick them up put them in the death cart and go put them in the the dead pits Bring out your dead. Yes, exactly, Lisa. Yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And I'm, I'm just assuming, I'm not sure, but I'm assuming they did it at night so less people would see and be discouraged.
1: Yeah, you're right. That's exactly why. They did it at night so people wouldn't be able to see it. And also so that when they're burying all the bodies in the pit there weren't people at church next door because all the burial pits were right next to churches. Oh, okay. At least at first. Um, so it has to be done at night and the burials had to be watched over by a constable or a parishioner to ensure it's done correctly. No friends or neighbors are allowed to go with the body to the graveyard just as a safety precaution and no kids whatsoever.
0: Right. Cause they'll just run around and make too much noise and touch things. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> touch things with their sticky peanut butter jelly fingers. I'm just kidding.
1: Lick the bodies. Who knows what the fuck the kids are doing? They might. Kids lick everything. It's so weird how kids lick things. Oh, it is. So yeah, that's that's the buriers, and that was kind of a, a sought after position, I guess, because it's at night. They don't have to deal with people. They just deal with the corpses.
0: That sounds like a a good, you know, good job to me.
1: Yeah, you don't have to talk to people on the phone. <laughs> you
0: yeah, don't have to deal with anybody alive, really. And who's going to complain? The
1: dead people? No. They sure aren't. So there's the barriers, and then also there are the dog killers. That's pretty self-explanatory. Excuse me? what What's going on? Who's hurting a puppy? Oh, oh. A dog killer is going to hurt your puppy. <gasps> the hell they will. I know, right? Right. Punch them right in the face if they try to hurt my pet. <laughs> they weren't they weren't just tasked with killing dogs. They were tasked with killing this is the list that I pulled from the book. Tamed pigeons, cats. Mm-hmm. I know, right? Swine and ponies. Ponies? Yeah. The fall. All the ponies. <laughs> Horses were okay. You could have a horse in the town, because it's necessary to get around. But anything else that was your pet, even Pigs that are food source had to die by order of the government. I'm
0: not crying too hard about that, but, like, pigeons? Like, I know they're, like, disease-ridden, like,
1: vermin. But they ain't rats. They're rats with wings. (laughs) Rats with wings. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. I mean, I'm never going to keep a pigeon in my house, but... There is some opinions that because they employed these dog killers to go out and kill every pet in the streets and in the houses, that it actually made the plague spread worse because there was no cats and dogs to keep the rat population in check. (gasps)
0: That's true. I bet it would have been really good to have cats everywhere.
1: Right. Go and kill those cats, those uh, rats that are spreading the plague. Now, the dog killers were also tasked with killing rats, but you can't catch every single rat, especially not in a big city. No, there's way too many. Way too many. Even if you leave some poison out, it'll catch like one out of 10. I don't know. So anyway, it wasn't very effective, but they did. They killed all these pets. It's one of the jobs. Um, So another, another job that was created are the rakers. They would come and rake up so you're during this time of quarantine, you're ordered every day to clean and sweep the area in front of your house on the street. And you can imagine in these times, it was pretty gross out on the streets. People would like throw their toilet bucket out the window. But yeah, so the Rakers were employed to come by every single day to clean out the streets. And that's the jobs that are created by the plague.
0: Nice. It's it's making jobs. That's a good thing, yeah, right? That's true. They created jobs. Something good came out of it.
1: Something good came out of it, I guess. People actually had jobs to do. That's true. Instead of just sitting around waiting for themselves to catch the plague. Because they probably would have caught it either way. Uh, and now we're going to get into these burial pits. Now that we've talked about the barriers, The burial pits were created throughout London by churches in parishes to make sure that there was enough area for the buriers to dump bodies into
0: So what, were they mass graves they weren't like individually buried mm-hmm.
1: mass graves Blech. i know it's it's not a pretty sight remember in the beginning of the episode we were talking about that burial pit that was dug up and that's where they proved it was the mm-hmm. rats that killed yes that one was in bedlam and in that particular burial pit when they dug it up they said that it had um Boxes, So it was coffins and people wrapped up in linens in that particular burial pit. So this bedlam burial pit was probably a lot more respectful and probably a lot earlier on in the plague than some of these other ones we're going to talk about. Because as the plague went on and there was more and more bodies, they started to get less and less respectful of the bodies because they were like, we just need to get rid of these things. Yeah. Yeah, so they would do these mass graves, throw the bodies in, no linen to cover them up, no coffins, nothing. They just needed to fit as many bodies in a pit as possible. So in late August, early September, the pit near the narrator's house was finished, and this was in Aldgate, very close to Whitechapel. Mm -hmm. He went over to see it, the narrator, um, and he said it was 40 feet in length, 16 foot broad, and in some places 20 feet deep anticipating a lot of bodies it was built to last a month meaning like a month of bodies to be thrown in unfortunately it filled up after two weeks i
0: was about to say you can't measure
1: it based on yeah yeah (laughs) but they hoped they were like this is a big pit hopefully it'll last us a month no it didn't two weeks after the pit's completion it was filled with 1114 bodies all stocked on top of each other so yeah at the beginning of the plague maybe they had enough resources and whatever to bury them properly but by the end it was just like just get them in there and put the put the dirt on top of them we can't have them out on the street anymore um so he he came back to the pit because he was curious to see what it was like at night when people were actually being buried. And he saw a man following the buriers to the pit. When the buriers noticed there was a man following them, they're like, what? What are you doing here? You need to go home. And the guy said, no, that's my wife. That's all my children in that uh, cart that you have. I don't have anything else. I want to at least watch them be buried. So they let him stay against their better judgment because they're not allowed to have any family members at the pit. So he stays and he gets to see the lovely ceremony of the cart being tipped up. And all the bodies just falling into the pit. Oh, no. It's not a respectful burial that people should be watching. Especially their loved ones. Mm -hmm. So the cart gets tipped up. The bodies get piled in. And they start shoveling dirt on top of it. He freaks out. Understandably. Yeah. (laughs) So he, he falls over backwards in shock. And the burriers stop what they're doing. They help him get to his feet. And they take him to the nearest pie shop, which is on the corner.
0: Mrs. Lovitz.
1: (laughs) Sorry. Are they serving human meat? (laughs) (laughs) I know, right? That's funny that you just watched that today. (laughs) But yeah, they take him into the local pie shop. He's got some friends in there. They take care of him and uh, they go back to their business. So these barrier guys seem like pretty decent dudes. Yeah. And the narrator himself, standing to the side, was appalled by the sight of these bodies being flung flung in haphazardly, but he writes that he understood that it was necessary at the time. And this is a quote from the book while he's watching these bodies being flung into the pit. He said, it's a, quote, common grave of mankind, as we may call it, for here was no difference made, but poor and rich went together, end quote. Yeah, I guess it affects both, you
0: know, the rich people, the poor yeah. people, yeah. everybody. It's not
1: poor, poor you people, know. rich people. Yeah, anybody can get the plague and there's no time to worry about which one goes where. Everybody has to be covered up right away. So, he seems to be like an advocate for the poor. But that that's really our episode today. We're going to end it there on the the height of the plague. Yikes. Ugh. Gross. And
0: uh, I know by the time this episode comes out, I don't know where we're going to be at as a, you know, a worldwide community with our coronavirus going on. But um,
1: gosh, I, I hope... wonder too. Yeah. I, I, yeah. As far as I can tell from what I've learned about the plague, hopefully we're in a better position now. <laughs> I would think
0: so. And I know we're kind of facing something similar, but a little bit different. And I... Mm-hmm. I think we just.
1: Hopefully, not as bad.
0: Hopefully, Hopefully not as bad. Not as bad. Um, I don't know if the plague, if this particular plague was. It was only bound to pretty much London, correct? Pretty much, yeah. Okay. yeah. And maybe surrounding areas, but it didn't spread bit. to all of
1: Europe, did it? No, not necessarily. Well, actually, that's a good question. We can't really say for sure, but in the book, he says that once word got out that london was infected other cities in europe stopped trade with them they were like nope don't want it <laughs> well, it was probably for the best like if you get
0: a rat on a like in a crate of apples or something and oh, it yeah. goes you know to another country well then you might be fudged
1: yeah exactly you never know or somebody who goes like from France to England goes off the boat to pick up something bring it onto the boat he could got have already been exposed. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, hopefully they didn't spread it too much to other places. Hopefully it was centralized to London mm-hmm. and it didn't get too spread around. But right now it does kind of seem like covid is spread worldwide.
0: Yeah, and that's that's pretty sad, but it is what it is and we're all working towards not
1: spreading it anymore. Right. Right, and hopefully we don't need to have mass grave
0: sites. (laughs) (laughs) I could get into some conspiracy theories about that, but Paige, that was a great episode and was part one of a two-parter, which will continue next week.
1: Yep, yep. Next week we're going to get into the end of the plague and the fire afterwards. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. It's a good fire, I guess. (laughs) We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. Uh, But yeah, we really appreciate you guys listening. Thank you so much for being a part of Near Death Dolls. Be sure to check us out on Instagram at Near Death Dolls Podcast or on Twitter at Near Death Dolls. If you have any questions about the show, please send us an email at neardeathdolls at gmail.com. We'd be happy to hear from you. And if you like what you heard, Please leave us a review wherever you are listening to us right now. And thank you so much again. Goodbye, guys. Bye. See you next week. A special thanks to Sam Hears for our art and music. If you'd like to see more from him, check out the links in our show notes.